We are on a mission. A mission to save and revitalize independent pharmacy. On the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast, you'll get actionable business advice. Hear stories from industry leaders. And share a laugh or two with us. Fuel your passion for pharmacy. One conversation at a time. Welcome to the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Key, president of Pioneer X. And today I'm here with my co-host, Marsha. Hi, I'm Marsha Bibbins, director of marketing for Pioneer X. And today we are actually not the host. We are touching base with NCPA CEO, Doug Hoy, and Red Soul CEO, Craig McEwen. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Great. Doing good. How was your Thanksgiving? It was uh, it was really good. Yeah, no, I had a couple of them. We came up early and came up to see my folks, not too far from where Marsha, you and Jeff, well, not uh, 300, 200 miles north of where you guys are, but um, had an okay. early one with my folks and all my brothers and sisters, all twenty five of us and our ki- wow. kids oh, and wow. and all that stuff. And uh, then we got back here and had a quiet one with my family, with my nuclear family. Um, on Thanksgiving. Awesome. Yeah. How about you guys? I survived. I survived. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. Why, why is Thanksgiving your yeah. favorite holiday? Because you get all the family environment with all the stress of presents and all that kind of stuff. So you just kind of show, A, I love to cook. So you and I were talking about that. Yep. So I love cooking Thanksgiving. And I like the, just, you get to hang out with all the commercial atmosphere of Christmas anymore. So your Thanksgiving <laughs> is a maple marinated... I do a, a maple bourbon brine turkey. Yes. Okay. And then you cook okay. it, you smoke it. I smoke it on the big green egg. And yep. the big green yep. egg. What about you, and Doug? What is, what is your, what's your primary turkey version or ham? What, what's, what, what's the, your, what's your prized dish? Yeah. So at my folks, uh, it's distributed among, so there, I have four brothers and sisters plus my, you know, my mom's 82 and mm. she's still in the kitchen. We can't get her out. So it's more the, the the um the things around the turkey so the stuffing yeah. uh, the and the dessert tray that's my favorite is the dessert tray mm-hmm. so we make uh cool whip came up with something called dream pie about 20 years ago 30 yeah. years ago i know what you're talking about yeah and it would not be a hoy family gathering <laughs> without without at least one or two dream pies being stuffed in our faces so what about you Marsha? favorite uh, Mine is uh, the uh, I do I do a, a cayenne a, a cornmeal cayenne dressing. Wow. Um, and uh, so now that's the exchange is on Christmas. Jeff does the fried turkey, and I bring the uh, cornmeal cayenne dressing. Um, it's it's nice. It's not too spicy. Um, I don't know. You tell me. Um, and then I've I chocolate pie from scratch with a meringue top. God. Huge. Take that, take that, Bobby Flay. Huge Damn. meringue. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, our house it's frying the turkey. So. Yeah, and his house it's it's frying. We do the that turkey. Thanksgiving and Christmas. We well, love it so and, much. And because one year he fried a turkey, and I took the leftovers he sent me home with, and I made a, a turkey andouille gumbo, and so now he fries two turkeys, and sends me home with leftovers to make a big sixteen. Yeah, I had pot some of, this weekend actually. That gumbo. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, but we take um take um. Handful of paprika, handful of cayenne pepper, handful of Tony's, um, wishbone dressing, make a big, 
make a big paste and smear it all over the turkey and under the skin. And then we drop it into 350 degree oil and you fry that for an hour. And it comes out looking like, you know, you see the TV shows where the, where the, where the wife burns the turkey, <laughs> you, you bring it out and it really looks, it's black. It looks like, and, and truly looks like that you burned it. Uh, you, you, we have black and turkey at Jeff's house. You love to do it the first time because you bring it out. And you're like, oh, I don't know what we're going to do. I'm so embarrassed. You know, and then you can't keep Mackie and I while he's carving it are over there, like picking the skin and but it's not burnt that that skin is just like blackened, you know, it's it's just paprika and it's just the spices Mm -hmm. when they hit there. And um, then the meat is super juicy because of stuff. So Jeff, I see you and I coordinated outfits today. You're kind of a treat. You're both wearing polo long sleeves. Yeah, I got my Christmas bling on. I went I went holiday cheer and sparkles. So, Doug, how you been? Haven't seen you since NCPA. I think a uh, couple months. Couple months, and yep. I think our last podcast was back in August. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think my understanding this is again the, the six month check in. Uh, this is the check in. Yeah, it's a check in. So, I've got a little feedback from members. Um, I don't know. So, I think in this podcast, we'll talk about the check in. Um, really, use of technology to help our independent pharmacies be more profitable, be more relevant in the marketplace. I mean, I've got a list of questions here, but maybe that's a good place to start on the check-in. You know, the last couple of podcasts, we talked about some concerns I've heard from members on customer service, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, just really the, yeah, call lines, customer service. The great resignation. Yeah, yeah. And you've talked about, I mean, during the pandemic and, and lots of folks are struggling with finding people to man phones, man stores, man mm-hmm. uh, places. What's the status? What's, has anything changed in the last, and you guys mentioned that, you know, you've had to go out to, you know, beyond uh, uh, Louisiana. You've opened up some, I think some call centers in maybe Dallas and what's, what's the status? What, what are you hearing? And I'll, um, you know, what, what are you hearing from pharmacies? about the customer service side of your, your business? Well, I, I think we're back on par. So uh, yep. if you look today, two thirds of our support staff is now not in office. So, you know, we've been hiring all across the country. Uh, the, the positive side of that is that we've been able to hire more experienced pharmacy techs than we might could have had before because you're not limiting yourself geographically. Um, it creates some some challenges with training. We had to rethink how we how we train them and bring them up to speed. But um, we're back to doing. You know, one of the things that Pioneer did. You know, we try to think of support as not just break fix. Right? I've got this bug. How do I fix it? But really, a proactive. Um, sometimes we call the customer to say, "Here's the thing we found." Kind of proactive work. Um, but and also being able to be that resource when you think about. Hey, I'm trying to rethink how I do blank. What should I do? And that person knowing because they have other accounts that do that, you know, more more really than than support. And so we're being able to get back in that in that modus. Uh, you see us actually doing outbound calls when call volume are slow again. So we're doing those those um, kind of preventative calls out reaching out to the customer. Uh, I think I saw last month we did about three thousand hours of training. Um. So we're taking the classes that came out of Connect. We sent 12 pharmacy techs to our annual show where we're teaching pharmacy how to, how to 
use the software better and how to run their business better. And we've taken the 12 people who went there have come back and have been teaching those classes to support. So I, I would say we're on par, if not better than we were yeah. pre-pandemic. Yeah, yeah the, the data would say, you know, so mo- most folks would would measure wait call times, et cetera. And that, and that was a problem for a while. That, that's back down to historical lows. But we also, to Jeff's point, measure across the the employee base and the customer base outbound calls because that's where you can really have an impact on the business because we're seeing things that maybe the pharmacies aren't seeing. And that's back up to historical uh, historical performance as well. So I'd, I'd say from a data perspective and an a, mm-hmm. uh, employee um, retention perspective, we're, we're, we, we think we're back. Have you uh, gotten any feedback, Doug? Any feedback from you? Yeah, I haven't gotten a lot of feedback. The, when I've reached out, um, one person who was saying it was a problem last time, he he didn't mention it when I asked him. So I specifically said, hey, what about the customer support? Because you mentioned that the last time I talked with you. And he said, no, that doesn't seem to be a problem. Just looking at your Google reviews, most of the complaints on customer service are three to four months or older. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it, did, it does seem like about there was a greater number of them at about three, four or five months ago. Um, but yeah, in the last month or so, the Google reviews, there there weren't, there wasn't a lot on the customer reviews. And I'm trying to think there's a, a woman's name that came up a couple times, Christine or Cynthia or something, but she yeah. must be a rock star because yeah. her name came yeah. up several times. People, people love their support staff and that's yeah, the relationship that we build by this concept manager. that I have an assigned person. I, I tell you, at NCPA, Person after person after person comes up. I just love my account manager. Make sure you tell her. And then they don't say account manager. They say her name or his name. And they say, I just love him. You know, the good about that is that it's great because it gives them somebody to talk to, somebody they feel like can help them. The bad is when people get promoted and move on. So sometimes they lose their account manager. And I have one guy, you know, oh, yeah, so-and-so got got promoted and I understand, but I'm still sending them her Christmas present, you know, and that kind of stuff. So, um, those kind of long lasting relationships, which is, which is really that kind stickiness of, that we try to encourage pharmacists to create with their patients. And well, and, and what we'd like to see what mm-hmm. NCPA is trying to create between pharmacies, right. You know, that same kind of, uh, relationships where people can help each other, right. um, do better. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, so at our annual meeting and like the multiple location conference, that's exactly we want pharmacists to, to know each other. That's one of the things my dad would say in practice when he was pharmacy owner is sometimes he feels like he's out there on an island by himself. And so this is this is also, you know, 25 years ago before there were you know social networks and um, th- where it was easier to connect with people. But I think mm-hmm. that's really important for independent pharmacy owners to have someone they can, you know, vet ideas, uh, you know, vent, but also bounce ideas off of. Mm-hmm. And um, that connectivity, that relationship is ben really Ben Jolly has created a really great network and people bounce ideas and questions off him all the time that are pioneer related. Speaking of helping people, um, I know this is kind of you asking us, but I do want to just say something brief about, tell us how you, you, you uh, NCPA has kind of released kind of a home improvement show for pharmacy, right? I think we're on our second episode. So tell yeah. us, just tell us real quickly about that and how it's going. It's, uh, it's going great. So the show is called, the series is called Show Me, 
show me. Mm-hmm. Yep. And this first series is on immunizations. And it's for pharmacies, whether you've already started an immunization program or uh, you're thinking about it, to see mm-hmm. how other pharmacists have experienced it. And it's inspired by some of the uh uh, reality shows like uh, Restaurant Impossible, yeah. Bar uh-huh. Rescue, yep. and um, yeah, they're twenty. So they're about twenty minutes long, professionally, you know, videoed and filmed. And uh, we just released the second episode uh, a few days ago, and we'll have three more episodes. There's going to be one on travel vaccines, and so. Um, yeah, we think they're fun. You know, yep. we think they're fun, and uh, it's it's pharmatainment. 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 <laughs> okay, we heard yeah. it. We called it here that first. So pharmatainment. Pharmatainment. That'll be what the social okay. media pharmatainment. Hashtag, <laughs> yeah. Hashtag pharmatainment. So they're on they're on YouTube. Um, we have a video channel. NCP has a video channel on YouTube, so people can watch them. And yeah, and I I think these are things that we'll probably do do more of on certain topics. And again, it's, it's for pharmacists to kind of see, Hey, I'm not the only person in the world who struggles with, um, not struggles with, but you know, there's a dynamic with my relationship with my pharmacy team. That's, you know, often very positive, but sometimes, you know, the pharmacy team realizes all the eccentricities of the pharmacy owner. I I think it's great. You know, it's it's amazing. I, I think sometimes, you know, you expect, a national organization in DC is kind of structured, you know, and, and it's neat that to me, that seems fun. It, it's neat NCPA doing fun things. And well, it's, it's a continuation. So, I mean, a lot of pharmacists walk away from events like NCPA with, Oh, I set in on this great meeting and I'm real inspired. I'm inspired to start doing this in my pharmacy, but they don't know where to start. And that's a great, you know, here's your how to, here's your, your, uh, pharma tea. It's something Marcia and I had thought about doing and just huge investment. So Mm -hmm. congratulations to you. Yeah. Um, look forward to that. Keep going and, and and watching as people loosen up. I think you see episode two. They've kind of everybody's loosened up a little bit more. And and uh, so I think it'll yeah, be the fun. first couple of episodes filming anything, it's like awkward. It's like um, kind of like if, if movie reference here, like where do I put my hands? Yeah, we should and- go back sometime and, <laughs> and see clips from our first podcast in Korean. Oh, please not. <laughs> Madison's like, yes, we should. <laughs> yeah, well, they're um, they are growing, and it is it is uh, they should be entertaining. So I hope you know, people will, will, will watch them. But thanks for bringing that up. Um, it, it does, you know, I think a future, like for example, future topics, this one's on vaccinations, but it gets into you know, some of the things we talked about at the NCPA conference and have been talked about before is, is, is primary care. Just really, I, I called it a primary care crisis in the United States with the shortage of physicians, which everyone, I think yep. almost everyone's heard mm-hmm. about that. Um, and, I think I've mentioned before, if I haven't, I know my, my parents struggle finding primary care in their town of 35,000 people. Um, and it seems like I hear that from other people as well. By struggle, struggle pri- with primary care they're happy with. Right. Um, they, they can find primary care, but primary care that they're, they're, they're satisfied with. And pharmacists obviously can fill that gap. And when we look at where chain competitors are going, CVS Caremark has made very clear. I mean, this is no secret. Their minute clinics, their purchase of Aetna, other acquisitions, telehealth acquisitions, they're going into primary care. It's no secret mm-hmm. there. Yep. Walgreens 
buying Village MD, sinking billions of dollars into Village MD. No secret there where they're going. They're, so they're buying physician groups. Walmart putting, they're telling shareholders they're going to put 2,500 primary care centers in their parking lots by the end of the decade that will have dentistry, imaging, uh, labs, and and primary care services. So that's where the market is is going. Pharmacists obviously can fill a lot of those primary care gaps, and we have been doing so, especially during the pandemic. To do that, and so here's the question, we need help with medical billing. We, yep. we need to kind of rethink our pharmacy management systems to be able to get into this primary care medical side. So uh, I know we talked about that on previous podcasts, but what's the latest uh, on helping pharmacists get into that space um, from a billing standpoint and a workflow standpoint? Okay. Yeah. So I think we talked about before, um, we had acquired a couple months ago, a company TransactRx, um, you know, pure cloud-based um, vaccine billing platform. Uh, predominantly used in primary care, although used in some of our customer base. And we love the the technology. Uh, Jack Guinan, mm-hmm. the president of that business, has, has spent 40 years in in and around this space. Actually was the original was the original founder of the business and ultimately uh, Shore Scripts purchased on built the first e-prescribing platform as well. So really really innovative uh, guy. So so we have been since we acquired that business have been um, investing in trying to create the best solution out there. And what do we mean by that? Well, one is we had to extend, been extending the services on that platform to be uh, all encompassing from a medical billing standpoint. And so that work will be launched in January. The second uh, thing is to make sure that it's fully integrated into the Pioneer platform. And so that we can integrate it uh, not only through the e-care plans, but also a lot of the extra work that's done and some of the black hole on reporting of knowing and reconciliation on that, that, that will all be integrated into Pioneer. And so you're going to see that launch. We've been starting to pilot some of that and uh, Jack and team are targeting January for kind of full launch and release of that. And so that's our solution for that. And uh, you'll continue to see us um, uh, invest and innovate around that. But a couple of things there, the, the Transact RX won't be just a Pioneer X red right. cell solution. Right. Uh, right. It'll be a, a medical billing solution available to all independent pharmacies. And and you'll see a, a division of our company around what we're calling network services, switch and stuff like that, um, that will really focus on all independents. And one of the key, you know, one of the key things that Craig said there, one of the reasons that, that Craig found that company and, and ended up, you know, we ended up acquiring them was their, at their technology and the agility in it. Cause that's what we're going to have to have. What you're going to see is this continuous, you know, what popped up in Kansas and, you know, things are just going to keep opportunities are going to keep popping up and we have to have the agility to be able to jump on that very quickly and, and make that as an opportunity. You know, you can't have a lot of these medical billing programs are written in COBOL, you know, they're, they're, they're 20, 30 years old and they're not gonna have the agility to do what needs to happen to enable these programs quickly. And, and so uh, what we're working on right now is integrating uh, and, 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 and making the pieces happen to make that agility happen. And, and Jack's been talking to the guys in Kansas and learning what's going on there and um, different stuff. So, so I think you're going to see a very capable program in TransactRx is going to be used very broadly in the industry. And, and you, as, as Jeff, you'll, you'll see that integrated as well with our, our primary switch. You know, we, 
we spent a lot of money investing in taking the power line switch, which was the QS1 switch, and moving that to the cloud and the rules engine for that. And that also gives us an ability to integrate the rules engine with medical billing. You know, so we, we don't think a pharmacy should have to spend a lot of time thinking about which route that's going down. That should be uh, algorithms performing that task. And so um, you'll, you'll see that that is well coming from us. There's just so many, you know, pharmacists are used to, um, they adjudicate it. I, I know, you know, minus a DRR situation, I know what I'm going to get paid medical billing, you kind of kick it out there and you cross your fingers. And there's so many ways that you can mess up and end up finding out a month later, you're not getting paid and having to scramble to figure out there's all kinds of different modifiers. Is the patient insulin dependent or not insulin dependent? And all these kind of things when you're, when you're going in billing and, and the, that's gotta be easy. This can't get, you know, if, if this gets really hard for pharmacists, they're going to be just as bogged down as primary carriers. You know, they're not going to, that, that whole agility we have, you can walk in and talk to us. No, no, we're over here figuring this out. Uh, or we've had to hire a medical biller. So one of the things we've got to, to do is figure out how the pharmacy management system takes advantage of some of these things to make it. And, and one of the things that, that, that uh, TransactorX is also really good at is these kind of, uh, these kind of edits and, and really helping you not be three months down the way and figure out, oh, I didn't bill that right yeah not gonna get paid. One, one additional point because if, if you look at as we start analyzing all the data across the customer bases is massive variation in not only reimbursement per service but also in time time to payment a lot of that is driven just as it is uh years ago in the in the uh, health system side is on the quality of documentation that's being submitted uh for reimbursement and so workflow has a lot to do with that and so while it absolutely will work across uh, anybody's PMS platform, I don't want to lose sight on the, the value of integrating it into the Pioneer absolutely. platform and the quality of the e-care right. planning and automating that documentation is going to be crucial to maximizing dollars of reimbursement and time to reimbursement uh, right. uh, as and, well. And we, audit losses because it's yeah, that documentation. We, we that super important. Yep. Do you see this? So workflow is super important, like it's been talked about. Do you see, do you foresee, so I'm, I'm just trying to picture the workflow in the pharmacy or, you know, the, the dispensing prescriptions as fast as you can. Do you see this, even though it's integrated into workflow, just from a physical space standpoint, almost like another terminal setup aside, you know, in a different space and as more and more pharmacies are developing office spaces or, um, uh, assessment spaces. Well, I mean, you get more setting over there, or because I'm just trying to picture this. You're trying. I think to that depends on the type of the type of pharmacy you're running. To be honest with you, um, but the technology is capable of doing it. So as we told you, right? So um, it was originally designed for physician practice offices, primary care offices, right? And we have sixty thousand primary care physicians uh, leveraging that, that platform. So it's designed to to do that, uh, and you can you can use it as effectively outside of workflow as you want as well. Um, but most independent pharmacies are going to prefer to have that in workflow, but I'll defer yeah. to Jeff on. on yeah, I'm, 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 my desire is that it's just going to happen and it's going to be in workflow and it's not going to be something that you're going to have to have a medical biller in a back room uh, working through it. That as you do your work, it's just going to work, right? I think that more vo volume and size of, number of pharmacies based the larger number of pharmacies you have and the more volume you're doing uh you start to specialize skill sets 
Um, and, and there's a, a need and an opportunity to do that. Um, but I think in a, a one to two pharmacy location, geez, I think we're going to be recommending pretty strenuously that that's in workflow. Yeah, well, I think it has to be in workflow. And, and yeah. some of the things you mentioned as far as the um, like pulling data from the pharmacy management system, like the data that's already in there, name, birth date, allergies, yeah. things like that, pulling that into a medical claim. What I'm hearing you say is that this system would you'd be able to automate that. Right. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and things like insulin dependence. It's important. Yeah. Um, it may be to be inferred from the actual uh, prescriptions on on the hand. So you may be to just say that not to have to fill that out um, or not dependent or it's going to have to be refreshed at a certain frequency. You, you know, so there are all of these kind of things that are going to be modifiers that some modifiers we can figure out from the pharmacy system or from the diagnosis that have come in on the e-scripts. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunities to do things um, for the pharmacist that, that, that keeps you fast and working in workflow or tech, whoever's filling out the data. What's the training? So I, I should probably know, but I don't. So I hear you that you want it to be as intuitive as possible. You want it to be as as easy as possible. But this is a little bit of of a new territory, you know, pioneering, no no plug intended, some new territory with the medical. We'll take it, Doug. We'll take yeah, it. Yeah. No, I know. I could just we will take the shameless plug. Sorry, sorry to all your competitors that I just used your name in a sentence there, but. Um, <laughs> we'll take it. What? Do you have training? So whether it's, you know, NCPA just recently became part of the Pharmacy Technician Certification Board, PTCB. So whether it's technicians, we also emphasize things like community health workers. Trip Logan's yeah. talked a lot about that. We think that's super important. CPSN's got something going on with that. But whether it's community health worker, certified technician, you know, the training for the billing. And I, and I hear you don't want to have to necessarily have a separate billing person, but... Craig, you mentioned something a few minutes ago. People will gravitate towards things they do well. And so you you tend on your teams, you tend to have, you know, oh, she's the one that we look to for in our pharmacy. It was a woman named Jerry. Jerry was the person. She was really good at at billing and, and working through. It was either Jerry or Bonnie. Um, those were the two that we looked to. Is there training on the medical billing side that uh, you guys offer that's um, – specific to your system um i think on our side i mean it's something in cpa maybe we could i think we yeah that's actually a good thing to, to, to follow up on uh actually so think about that doug is so one of the things we do like uh two, two three answers that question one of the things we beyond the technology that we liked if you looked at uh transactor small company but the 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 service provided is akin to the pioneer service so there was there's a lot of you get jack and jeff in in a session and they start riffing on the technology and, and the customer support model there, there's a lot of like minds there almost too much so at times um and uh, that's because uh transactor x is, is built a good service model one of the things we've been doing and build up to having the the feature set that we want integrated we've also been having to add to that team because um, it's been a small team. And so we, we have been adding to that, but we've got a process, Transactor X and, and Red Cell now have, have a process for training as you on board. But that being said, the third point is, I do think we could be a lot more proactive as, as we continue to kind of push this out to the masses uh, to not just have te the technology-based training. That, that's, um, 
not dramatically difficult. There's a bit of a culture mindset that needs to occur within pharmacy as well uh, that is part of the training. We probably should be thinking about partnering with you on that a bit more broadly. And that's less about the technology and more, more about how do you set up your pharmacy for, for medical services? How do you think about the language of medical billing uh, and the, the type of skill sets needed uh, to be successful at it? That's probably something we, we, we should be looking to invest in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, y'all have a, a really good and I haven't looked at it this month, a really good legislative section like that comes out in the NCPA magazine um, and stuff. Do y'all yes. have the same kind of resource for the new medical billing opportunities that are in each state as things change? We we probably don't. Um, I would get, well, there are resources out there like that. So like NASPA does a, a nice job of looking and seeing, you know, what, what authorities pharmacists have in different states. So they're, they're good at compiling that. Is it on their website? Is it well, do you you go in an area that says, Hey, pharmacy medical billing, and you can look across different states and see what opportunities are available. I don't think it says medical billing. It's more on what authorities pharmacists have in each state. Right. Okay. Uh, Which is again, very handy because that Mm -hmm. then lends itself towards medical billing, but it's a little bit, you know, the, the, the question's a little bit different between what authorities we have and what medical billing opportunities we have. So I think just as medical billing continues to grow and primary care continues to grow, there is this culture shift. Just coming from the convention, our convention a, couple, a few months ago, there's a lot of interest in it. I, I suspect just from you know being in the industry for a long time, there's, there's a number of people who are hearing it they're starting to you know, what is this? How do I get involved with it? But they're busy filling prescriptions. They're busy kind of the core business. And so to the extent we can make it easy for them and also show them examples of how others are using it, I think it'll help accelerate the adoption of, of medical billing and help. You know, ultimately, we need to get them paid. They've got to get paid for services and get paid beyond dispensing yeah. prescriptions. And that's for all listeners, we know you've got to get paid for the services that you're providing. Yeah, I think about uh, NCPA and MedSync 10 years ago, right, then and, and where we are today. And not really as far as I'd love us to be today, but a lot of people are really doing well with it. And, and now we're in medical billing. And where are we going to take that? How do we how do what we does the next 10 years look like? How do we not take 10 years to get where it took that to get on MedSync? You know, how do you accelerate that um, people's adoption of, of different, uh, all their billing opportunities, um, and, and fully using their, the authorities as they, you know, how can you quickly do that as soon as you, you know, a lot of times the guy who hops on it first, um, gets the business, you know, if you got right. four pharmacies in town, the one that starts doing it quicker and advertising about it. Right. Um, I think it'd be fun to do one of those help the pharmacy sessions around marketing, um, have the camera crew go visit a local doctor and, and, and really, Hey, how can I improve your, your marketing and then, and then go back to them two months later and, and or six months later, see how it went. I don't know where I went with it. Oh, it's talking about marketing and, and medical billing and programs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and in all honesty, when you, when you think about it relative to helping, helping independence, I mean, you brought, we were judging my competition a minute ago. Yeah. We, we compete with a lot of players on the pharmacy management side, but there's a whole portion of our portfolio that we can be frenemies on that are really good for independence. You know, the, the independent market is not loving the United 
and change acquisition and for, for good reason. And on medical billing and pharmacy billing, for lack of a word, we Red Cell should be working with who we would think is our traditional PMS competitors on those sides of the business to, to help independent pharmacy. And, um, you know, we're, we're going to try really hard to do that, but that, that takes a little bit of uh, trust amongst everybody in the industry. Yeah, I think that's super important. I was going to bring that up because, you know, Pioneer has very significant market share, 50%, 60%, whatever you have in the PMS market, but that there's still another 40 or 50%. Yep. And really to get the growth, we need all boats to rise. We need all pharmacies yeah, to have absolutely. the ability to do medical billing. Yep. Yeah. So maybe related, I think this is related to medical billing. I think it's another opportunity more in the wheelhouse of related to dispensing prescriptions, but also coming over to medical billing. And that's the specialty um, uh, biologics and a lot, you know, a lot of a lot more uh, media interest in this because of Humira coming, uh, becoming available generically or with biosimilars mm -hmm. coming up next year. Um, Humira, by the way, being the top selling drug on the planet, not just for this year, but in the history of the world. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Is that by dollars? It, That's by dollars. By dollars. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Okay. By revenue. You know, I'm thinking aspirin, you know, scraping acetylsalicylic acid from tree bark or things like that. Mm -hmm. Nothing in the history of the world comes close to Humira as far as, as revenue, and it's becoming um, available generically. So on the specialty side, uh, the, my my rant on that is 70% of all the specialty prescriptions are steered into three PBM-owned pharmacies. We think that's something that the FTC should be very interested in. But there's still specialty prescriptions that occasionally come into the pharmacies. And more and more prescriptions are categorized as specialty, whether or not they really are not. To me, specialty is what brand prescriptions were called 30 years ago. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the challenges when we talk to manufacturers and say, hey, We'd like to see more of your products coming through independence versus through uh, the mail order. One of the things they bring up are data fields. Uh, you know, they they want need data captured on their you know just make it five thousand dollar drug. That's more important than you know on a on a on a hundred fifty dollar drug. How is Pioneer helping pharmacies, or are you helping pharmacies capture some of those data that manufacturers require in the specialty space? And by the way, some of the uh, reward for capturing those data fields is not only you get to dispense the drug, but there's often some basis points, um, yep. fair market value basis points for capturing those data fields that manufacturers are sometimes willing to offer. So what's Pioneer, how's Pioneer helping on that, or, or are you? Yeah, so we have um, a very configurable, um, you know, the, the pharmacy can design certain reports and have them auto send via FTP to the manufacturer on a regular basis. Uh, we have some, you know, several different ways that's done in specialty, depending on how special the drug is. You, you're talking about really small run stuff. They're running a report and filling out a spreadsheet and send it to the, to the manufacturer, but, but certainly the data is available. We have lots of pharmacies who are, I say lots, we have a good number. On a red cell level, we've invested in, in as part of our, uh, we talked before, we, we invested in taking the switch to the cloud. We just launched um, an LTC-based cloud PMS system. As part of that technology platform, we also created a unified data store that pulls data from 
all of our platforms, uh, regardless whether it's QS1, Pioneer, et cetera. We've been piloting that uh, with a couple of manufacturers on adherence programs with select pharmacies that we've been partnering with. One of the things, in addition to the workflow you're able to do within Pioneer that you can't do in other pharmacy systems and and, and I'm, I'm parroting what the manufacturers are, are telling us because we're, see, we're seeing adherence, statistically significant adherence differences uh, and also on therapeutic alternatives. One of the things that we're piloting and testing is uh, the ubiquity of that data that we're able to pull because we're able to uh, pull data from the switch. We're able to pull data from uh, uh, various pharmacy systems and do it real time and create dashboards for the pharmacy and create dashboards for pharma. Obviously, there's information you don't and can't want to share with pharma, but most of those data fields we now can provide real time to them. And uh, we're that's the solution for it. So I'd say we built the platform and now we're just extending uh, manufacturing relationships. I, I think there's two, there's two challenges to this, in my opinion. One is getting the manufacturer, three challenges, the manufacturer relationships. And so we're, we're building the investments and doing that. Um, as an example, we just hired a guy uh, that was the head of sales at Cover My Meds and built the Cover My Meds business. He's uh, leading that effort uh, for us. And that takes time, but not, not overly complex. The other piece is some of these drugs do are, are limited distribution drugs. And in addition, the data fields have a variety of other requirements. That's a bit of a harder nut to crack because that's not just reporting data. That's also performance from the pharmacies. And uh, I, I do have a view that there, there's going to be a tiering of pharmacies over time that are going to be capable of performing the requirements uh, of that. We uh, and then the third is a harder one, which you highlighted. I think we can solve those first two fairly readily. I don't think the data accessibility for, for the manufacturers is going to be the problem. And I'd, I'd argue uh, internally we've solved that. We just need to continue yeah, to build can, it can out. Can I make a quick correction, Craig, before you go to number three? Yeah. Um, manufacturers, and this is a big misnomer in the industry, the manufacturers aren't looking for data. They're looking for information. And, yeah, and, and so when, when Craig's saying data fields and yeah. a dashboard for the manufacturers is not data fields for dashboard. It's information in a dashboard for the manufacturers yeah. on how the programs are performing. Right. That's exactly what's the that, adherence. What are the repo clear, rates? Yeah. Um, you know, there are tuners on there. They, they, they don't want raw data. What I don't want is a bunch of pharmacies saying, oh, you're giving me all, giving yeah, no. all of my data to the manufacturers. No, we're not. <laughs> and and, in, and even in the specialty world, if we can show information to the manufacturers that we perform better, that's what they're after. They're not after data fields. Um, go ahead. Craig. Yeah. So yeah. So a great example. We we, we ran a pilot on on um, on a therapeutic uh, application where if you we were doing cohorts, you took cohorts that didn't implement the program. They were delivering about eighty percent of of that drug that they were the year before. If you look at the effectiveness of driving it through workflow, we were able to deliver about one hundred and fifty percent effectiveness of the drug. So the manufacturers are looking to say, okay, I can invest dollars in a particular pharmacy channel. Their baseline was they were losing losing uh, on patients that should be receiving that. They're, they're prescribed it. They should be receiving it. And when they're going through their CVS Walgreens channel, it wasn't working. When we integrated it into Workflow and Pioneer, it's working. And so that's the information they want. Because all the manufacturers want to know is, can I access the independence? And is it, is it a good, for lack of a better word, return on my investment to do so? And we've got to provide them the information 
that helps them make that decision that that's a better use of their scarce resources uh, than going through somebody else. Those are solvable problems, in my opinion. The third piece, which is harder, that we don't have a solution for yet, frankly, we, we could use some help on, is the pay, is the payer access piece. Um, that, that At the end of the day, we, we can partner with the manufacturers, we can provide information, but the independents are getting squeezed out of reimbursement uh, yeah. on, on, these, on these drugs. And that's, that's a harder problem to solve that we have not cracked that one yet. And frankly, super open to ideas, suggestions. Yeah, of, and some of that's going to have to be legislative and you, you yeah. see some things state say, by that's, state. That's where we, we've got to lean on NCPA and, and probably work with you guys as well on these manufacturer reimbursements and go, hey, how can we help? Yeah. What can but, we do? But, but you're saying, and we have to keep doing better. You know, things that happened this year, 2022, man, pharma manufacturers bragged to other people that independent pharmacy was doing a better job at X than the chains were. Okay. Yeah, that's and, true. And and you'll have you'll talk to pharma reps who want independent pharmacy to be successful, but sometimes may or may not necessarily say that they do better. You, you know, and be willing to say that, and, and mm -hmm. it happened this year. So so we have to prove to them that we can do better and prove to them, and that's information, not data, right? Um, and we have to continue the stuff that NASPA is working with the different states to get legislation through. And then what else, Doug? Well, I think that. For one thing, this specialty, when you look at what different companies are doing, it's all about the specialty marketplace. I mean, it's 55% yep. of all the mm -hmm. revenue. So I think the thing that you guys have been talking about that we touched on as far as I said my rant is the, the payer marketplace. And the payer marketplace, again, you've got three entities that control 70% of the marketplace where they're able to steer specialty prescriptions yep. into their own pharmacies we are going to need help. They're, they're not going to change that model on their own. Nope. Why would they? I mean, so it's going to take either legislation, it's going to take courts, it's going to take FTC to break that apart, if, if it can be broken, um, mm -hmm. because they're they're not going to change that voluntarily. Um, you know, so, that would be like telling a shark not to. What's their argument? You know, what's what's that, their argument, though? What, a, what, a, what is an argument? What is their argument? They say, Mr. Employer, we're going to steer all the specialty through our mail order specialty pharmacy. What's their reasoning? Yeah. What are they what are they telling that employer? They're probably showing a profit. Of, you know, they're, they're showing an algorithm. Of, it's going to be cheaper if they do that. Right. They're playing the rebate game. They're playing the rebate they're game. They're saying, hey, it's going to be cheaper. It's going to be more expensive if you don't narrow it. Right. And we're going to, hey, this this solves a very treatable disease, Mr. Employer. We're going to do a better job of tracking that. Right. I assume those are the two things they're telling them. It's going to be financial and clinical. They'll, they'll sell the clinical. They'll say, hey, it's mail order. They won't call it mail order, but they'll say they'll, they have their team of highly skilled health professionals, 24-hour access to be able to um, help patients who have questions, which is an 800 number is what they're really describing. So they'll, they'll sell it both on um, outcome, but mostly on cost because the cost of specialty drugs is what's killing employers. Right. And what sometimes, to be honest, independent pharmacy takes. You know what I'm saying? That the price could is higher sometimes. Um, it, and, and so, um, you know, we have to think about what, how they're selling it to the employer, and how do we make the employer say, "No, I'm going to check that box that says I want broad access to specialty." 
You know, what, what's going to incentivize? Because the, the employers are, some of the employers are making that decision. It, it's not a, you know, you have choices. A, am I wrong here? I, this is my understanding is that the employers have, have choices of how they narrow things down. And sometimes they're financially incentivized and told, hey, if you do this, it's cheaper, uh, both on fees and, um, but, you know, wh- I think there's some big percentage of stuff that's just employer funded anyway. It's going through there, but really all that's purely employer funded. There's no real insurance going on. And, and so the employer in the end is going to decide whether or not their overall costs are more or not. And so some of that's a marketing and education campaign. It is, and also marketing education to the brokers, because we also have the insurance brokers who are advising, especially the self-funded employers, on on you know what choices to make. And sometimes those um, brokers are are also uh, enjoying some of the benefits of their recommendations. They they absolutely are. I agree with you on that. I mean, we we see we're an employer. We when we go out to bid for our for our employees, we we see that for sure. So specialty drugs, I think, is going to continue to be um, a you know a big deal, and the mm-hmm. biosimilars coming into the marketplace, yep. I think, it's going to potentially change and also expose some of the rebate games that are going on and some of the um, service fees. Because to your point, it's not the data itself, but it's the it's the synthesized data that um, manufacturers are interested in. Yeah, Doug, if we could work on two things with you guys, it, it is, you, you hit it. It's uh, medical services, how do you get paid for the medical billing? And I think that's an easier nut to crack over time than specialty drugs. Specialty drugs are going to take a, a lot of years and a lot of hard work, but it has to happen. It, it has to happen to stay to stay profitable uh, for these pharmacies. Yeah, it's going to be hard to run your business on vaccinations and cheap generics. There's just yeah. not going to be enough yeah, well, revenue the, to yeah, really... You're going to have to expand, you're in, and, and some of that will be the specialty drug, but but other is going to be expanding into other uh, niches and figuring out what your niche is going to be and how you – I think the opportunity really to save pharmacies more in the independent space, I mean more in the medical space, becoming a healthcare provider than it is in the specialty space. A lot of specialty drugs are limited distribution for a reason. There's not that many people on them, right? They're super, super expensive. You know, saw what – some new drug that's a million dollars. Well, yeah. there, you know, millions of people aren't getting that drug, right? You're going to get 12 people in the United States get that drug, and it's going to go through. Um, but but it's about 60% of the spend now. Yeah. And and there are, so, and I think when I think about specialty drug, I'm not talking about orphan drugs necessarily or the ultra-orphan drugs. But to me, if it's on the nightly news, for those who still watch the nightly news, um, <laughs> or, you know, daytime television, for those mm-hmm. who watch daytime television, then it should be mainstream enough that it should be at your, you should be able to get it at your local pharmacy um, and that's a lot of drugs humira inbril remicade um Ketruda. i mean there's there's a lot of drugs that are they are specialty and it's not like a lipitor where it's millions of patients but it's also not like uh you know an orphan drug where it's less than a hundred thousand patients in the country yeah uh, jeff you bring up a good point linda which is one of the challenges for the independence is is being willing to carry that inventory cost. Right. Uh, that, that's, that's a practical problem. Yeah. Yeah. And there, and there may be, there may need to be, you know, working with wholesalers years ago, there was like a consignment model with a specialty drug that the, the pharmacy never actually took. They took, uh, when a prescription would come in, that would trigger an order to the wholesaler. The wholesaler would drop ship it the next day. The pharmacy got a, 
dispensing fee for the training on the drug, but that fifteen hundred at the time, fifteen hundred dollar drug, now it'd be much more expensive. That that was done between the manufacturer and the wholesaler. So there there is a track record of some consignment models in the past that that have yeah. worked. Any um, so. this is back to me asking you stuff, but um. Is there anything legislatively going on about the DR apocalypse? Um, the you know kind of the the first half of the year in twenty twenty four. You know you, you think about I think about you know um, you know loans or are some type of you know what's going to help people get through? Is there something from a national level where hey this is going to be a huge problem? You could have tons of people uh, either go out of business or have real cash flow issues. Um, shouldn't there be some kind of federal program? Should be. Yeah. And that's what we've asked for. So we, we've been calling it the, the DIR hangover. So apocalypse hangover. But this is the first quarter of 2024 that you're talking about, Jeff, where the fourth quarter DIR comes due and the lower, more predictable, transparent uh, point of sale reimbursement comes in for the first quarter of 24. We've asked CMS for you know, for to for help there to to make the plans. You know, have an installment plan, pay it over. I mean, forgive it would be our first choice, but that's not gonna that's not very likely. But have an installment plan or spread that DIR instead of over a quarter, uh, spread it over twelve months. Um, I think it's unlikely. You know, CMS tends to uh, play the non-interference clause, which non-interference is in the Medicare Modernization Act as part of the part of the, the statute when Congress passed it, um, which was really meant to keep pharma uh, government from negotiating uh, with pharma, which that's now happened through the Inflation Reduction Act, but that's a whole nother thing. The short answer to your story, or to your question is that we continue to ask CMS to require the plans to do something. Based on history, it's unlikely CMS is going to do that. We have talked to others in the industry. I do think there will be um, cash flow plans or you know cash flow loans, loans mm, okay. that pharmacies can do. I don't think those loans are going to be at attractive rates. No, that's mm -hmm. another issue right now. Yeah. And especially with the interest rates being so much higher now. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we're doing, I think others are going to be doing it too, is beginning to make plans now for 2024 for the first quarter of 2024 so there, you'll see more from us on that i think you'll see more from others in the industry on make plans now um be the ant not the grasshopper you know start start storing things away now um and don't wait till december of 2023 mm. but if we could get i mean if you know obviously we'd love for cms to do something um and we're not going to give up on that, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet the farm on that. Happening. Yeah. I bet that's a very frozen, you know, I think about it, that's probably a quarter. We don't sell a lot of pharmacy systems, you know, it's just that people are going to be very, uh, you know, you, you kind of think, Hey, we can we figure out some kind of, we need to try to figure out some kind of little some big revenue program or just figure out it. I mean, would it, I mean, we figured out and built it in to pioneer to tell you, Hey, you're going to lose money on this on DIR fees. What about a yearly calculator? I mean, yeah, and they'll know. I mean, they know about now like, about what about what DIR fees run a quarter, mm -hmm. so they know. Hey, that you know, and, and well, no, what I'm saying is, is what about a report that goes, hey, this is 
roughly, you know, give or take a, a percentage of what your DIR bill is going to look like for that month. Right. And, and it's for that, co- that quarter. Right, and, for that quarter. And, and they kind of know that. The problem is they're going to be double dipped. And we haven't exactly figured out how, whether that's going to be just less total reimbursement or whether it's actually going to go to the point of sale. You know, that's one of those things. We don't have a standard for how that's going to happen, um, how that's going to change reconciliation. Um, so a lot of kind of stuff is, you know, what we're a year away. Um, a lot of unknowns. Right. Yeah, no, you're right. The planning should start now. We'll know more when the contracts for 24 come out in the spring of 23. We'll know more, you know, we'll know a little bit more how the, the plans are going to react to this new requirement that the lowest cost is that point of sale. Um, but again, the planning starts starts now um, is going to be our message. Yeah, speaking of costs, so we go go with a round of down with TRICARE? Just- <laughs> Yes, yes. Um, yeah, TRICARE, you know, we, we were able to get the renegotiation on that through Congress was through the pressure that, um, you know, we rallied. And again, many pharmacies talking imagine. to their patients, you know, talking to, to members of the military that got a second look at it. It's been this sham kind of renegotiation. Um, so we'll we'll see what happens next. I think there's going to be maybe some hearings perhaps um, to, to look into this whole TRICARE situation more closely uh, going forward. Yeah. What happened? I, yeah. Yeah. I've got a question for you. I know we're almost at the end of the time here, but it's, it's, I ask it every time and it's related to private equity and Craig, you uh, taught me something on the last call as far as the relationship between private equity and, and interest rates. And my question last time was I'd heard that the the heat, you know, has just been the sweltering market for uh, healthcare companies, private equity investing in them, that that had been cooling down. And you taught me something as far as the relationship between those investments and, and interest rates, mm-hmm. um, as far as a lot of that private equity money is coming from banks um, and they're, you know, the interest rates uh affect the attractiveness of, of the, the yep. dollars they're getting from the banks. So there, there are rumors that, um, that red sale, uh, is, is up on the market. Um, so how would you respond to that? I've, I've heard it, I've heard it a couple places. Um, and I, you know, those rumors may already be there, but, um, I guess I hadn't heard it until recently. So how would you respond to that, um, that rumor? Of two responses. We're owned by private equity. That rumor should always be out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we will we will sell. I tell yeah. customers this all the time. Someday with one hundred percent certainty, we will either sell or go public. With one hundred percent certainty. Mm-hmm. So there are uh, I bet you I don't go a quarter where there are companies calling to buy us. That being said, we just bought Transact Rx. <laughs> I'm actively in the market trying to buy several companies uh, right now um, because we actually, uh, so, so the answer is, uh, do we have an active process going on? No. Do I get calls all the time for companies? Yes. Uh, from companies? Yes. My focus is we're investing, we're investing in buying companies. And so the, I think the broader message should be typically if you're owned by private equity, you're not buying Typically, you're not buying while, while you're selling. You could, can, you can, those, those things happen. But we're actively investing right now in deploying capital. We're, we're in an early phase of our life cycle with private equity. The average private equity life cycle is over five years. Um, 
huge standard deviation on that. Huge standard deviation on that. Yeah. Um, but you make but decisions yeah, on, you, a, on a regular I, basis. I say we, we run the business to run the business, but yeah. we don't have an active process going on. Yeah. But you could, that could change in three months. It could change in six that months. It could change tomorrow. It it, could change it, in you three certainly months are correct that, that the interest rate environment tamps down everybody. You know, you see everybody laying off people. I'd, I'd hate to be a company that was heavily leveraged, you know, at this, at this time, um, with interest rates going up, but, yep. but you know, people shouldn't be afraid of that. We will sell at some point and we'll be a healthy company and, 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 and that Francisco partners will find a place for us. That's, uh, the best place for everybody. And so let, let me close that question with a question to you. So if interest rates will drive prices down, right. For companies, when would you want to sell? When prices are high or low, right? No, you'd want to do it when it was when it was, when it was frothy about a year and a half ago, right? Yeah. yeah, no, and I think I think one of the take homes because Craig, you've answered that question similarly, and I, you know, because it's when we started these a couple of years ago, it it's what drove the you know what led us to these is hey, we've seen this. If our members say we've seen this movie before. We've seen you know companies that we'd like to partner with get sold and then things fall up, things don't go as well. And so that's what led to these, I think, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, those are good questions. Look, I I don't don't mean to, I'm not trying to be flippant about it. I I, I have a firm belief, shareholders come and go. Um, What's important is that you build a great business. Uh, If you build a great business, shareholders will align around that strategy. If you're typically not building a great business, you're gonna get, you'll get bought and the strategy will change. And, and I think what we've seen different in I the pharmacy great business. Yeah, I think and I think what you've seen is different in the pharmacy market. Business itself are two reasons or are multiple reasons. And and some of the people that have been sold to private equity and seen decline were already in decline, right? Their owners sold because they had products that needed to be rebuilt from scratch and they didn't have the energy to do that, right? They were older products and they just, they wasn't going to do that. And so you had a product that was in decline, had hit the peak of it and is in decline. Um, in a, in a, you know, so some that's private equity, Hey, we buy things, we fix them. Right. Um, in the pioneer model, uh, they did that with, with QS one, Hey, we bought a product we're going to fix. And then we're going to go, we're going to buy the best product in the industry, a product that's on its upswing, not on its its downswing, um, and that's the difference. And, and so you have the, the you have a good company that continues to be a good company and, and continues to be even better now that we have contacts and you know a lot of times we go hey this vendor, you know, all of a sudden now Francisco Partner owns them too, right? And so you know there has a lot of the we have benefited greatly. We have better owners today, and nothing the Dixons. The Dixons were were kind and. You know, we say again, they didn't go and put us out to market. They didn't go out to bid and, hey, we'll take the bids from the highest bidder out there. They went and found out, we think this one place Pioneer should go because it's best and handled in one. And that's huge. I don't know if you run in those circles. They left a lot of money on the table doing that. But they did that because they were looking at for the They care about, you know, whatever, hundred and many, many years in pharmacy, second oldest business in Louisiana. They care about the business they're in and the future of independent pharmacies. Yeah. I think 175 plus, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, guys, I know we're at time. I, 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 
I appreciate the... Uh, Last time, I think we took like an hour and a half and it got broken up into two episodes. I know. Oh, yeah. I was kind of embarrassed by that. Oh, like, she's yeah. embarrassed. We, we had fun. We no. had fun, and, and and like I like I, I said on the last one is this is one of our most watched episodes, yeah. is when we get put in the hot seat by NCPA Grand Puma. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if the seat was as hot tonight or today. I mean, a little bit warm with the last one, but it was a little uh, more round table ish. It felt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's fine. We it's were always... like, hey, let's talk more industry questions and. Yeah, and we had to start. You know, I was thinking today we need to do this again with CPSN. We really, they're just places we just have to touch on a regular basis. It's so much yeah. good. It gets me thinking about stuff that we're doing, gets gets people listening, mm-hmm. thinking about things that are going on. Um, yeah, and, and we had also talked about moving these up to more of a, a quarterly instead of a um, tw- instead of twice a year. Yeah, I think that's what we said. We've moved it to three months. So mm-hmm. we need to talk things. Yeah. Like we need to talk yeah. about PDS going out of business. We need to talk yeah, about, Yeah, I was about to you know, mention that. Um, but. People are going to have to fill in some vacuum, Doug, mm-hmm. right? You know, and, and, and Pioneer can fill a little bit of that in, but, yeah. you know, we have... Uh, we have a, a a niche because of you know some people are going to see us as a competitor coming into that kind of thing. So I I think it'd be interesting to think is you know is is NCPA changing at all this year because of that? Is there is there a void? You know is there a is there a consulting model out there? You know um, a kind of a paid consulting model with some higher there there are people who come out of PB, PD, uh, PDS that are hires. You know that hey we ought to grab that person and put it in there. So any y'all been Throwing that around, uh, I know you and I were talking about that a couple months ago. Yeah, no, I mean, we've looked at, I guess I'm still, um, you know, PDS had changed a lot over the last few years. Yeah. Um, and just the feedback we got from members said it, it had changed a lot. By the way, I'm getting to be on, on a low battery here. So uh, yeah. if I, if, if you lose me, I didn't hang up on you. But um, yeah, I think the, um, the style of PDS is, um, you know, it's really attractive to some to, to the style of their learning. Some of the coaching is really attractive to some. And yeah, of course, we're talking about uh, do, can we morph some of our training to appeal to, you know, that that part of the marketplace that really likes what PDS was doing. Um, so one one last question for you, Doug. Before yeah. you, go, uh, you you normally right provide us a grade. Oh, see, we weren't going to ask him. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping we'd get out of this call without asking for that because you guys are so like OCD we were, about I, it. I, we already got our hands slapped before uh, the episode. No, Madison stopped. told us specifically. Like, Let's wait a year. Let's just do this. You guys are kind of weird. Madison just wrote, it. "I didn't tell Craig." <laughs> Craig's very competitive. I, I thought I was competitive till I met Craig. Uh huh. Oh, we lost. Look, we lost Doug. Oh, that was perfect. How convenient. <laughs> That's where the battery died. I love it. <laughs> awesome. I think we did lose Doug. Yes, we did. All right. Oh. All right, everybody. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for watching the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe, and follow us wherever you get your podcast. Give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more pharmacy professionals like you.